Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 245 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. Just me this week. Um, Eddie was going to come back and do, you know, another segment of his story time. We decided to not do that this week due to um, how long the in-depth interview is that we have for you this week. It's going to be with former three-time world champion, Mr. Tony Lopez. It's real in-depth. It's one of the most in-depth interviews I've ever done. Um, So, yeah, it would have just been too long of a podcast, so we're going to say Eddie's stories for another week, perhaps next week. Um, I am, of course, going to dive now into the review part of the show. There's some fights to go over that have took place, you know, within the last few days and stuff. Obviously, we're going to start at the bubble in the MGM Grand Las Vegas last Thursday. So a week ago today, the 18th of June, um, you know, the, 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 the main event, I think it was Jose Pedraza and... I can't remember who was boxing now. That fight, of course, fell through. So elevated to the main event was Gabriel Flores, 17-0. He's now 18-0. A unanimous decision for him against Josec Ruiz, who's now 21-3 with three draws. Um... Also on the bill, there was a bit of an upset in some ways, I guess. Um, an undefeated guy called David Kaminsky. He was 6-0. and He lost a split decision um, to Clay Collard, who was 6-2 and with three draws. He's now 7-2 and with three draws. Uh, a, a split decision over six rounds there. Um, yeah, that's really all the action, to be honest, from last Thursday. There was nothing on the Friday. On the Saturday in Mexico, Emmanuel Navarrete, um, it wasn't a defense of his time. It was a real mismatch on paper. 32-1 now, Navarrete. A win there, a six-round TKO against Uriel Lopez, who's now 13-14 with a draw. Um, Nothing on on, on Sunday to mention. Um, On Monday, let's have a look. Nothing on Tuesday. Yeah, that's that's where we get to the big one, really, this week. Um, Let's start with the undercard. Christopher Diaz, 26-2 now. Um, Very emotional guy. Um, A nice guy, very likeable. Uh, yeah, like I say, 26-2, and two, a unanimous decision win over 10 rounds against Jason Sanchez, who's now 15-2. Uh, Again, that one's back at the bubble in the MGM Grand. But the main event, Andrew Maloney, 21-0, and 0, going in against Joshua Franco, 16-1 and 1 with two draws. Bit of a prospect, Franco, obviously known for those three fights he had against Oscar Negrete, in which there were two draws, and then um, he won the third fight, if I'm not mistaken. It was for Maloney's WBA World Super Flyweight title, the first 12-rounder during the pandemic, and the first world title fight, if I'm not mistaken. Um... It was an interesting fight, really. Um, you know, it was a fast start to the to the fight in, in round one from Maloney. He was setting a high tempo. He was beating Franco to the punch. He was working his jab well. He was already reddening up the forehead of Franco. Um, round two was a, was a close round. Franco landed some nice uppercuts in there. He was even leading with the uppercut at times. Um, in the past, we've seen Maloney get hit. 
you know, and hurt with, with uppercuts. So I liked the adjustment from Franco being a little bit unorthodox, if you like. Round three, a better round for, for, for Franco. Um, not sure it was enough to win the round. It was a hard, it was a hard fight to score at that point as, as well, to be honest. It was a close round. Maloney started to get hit a bit more often, but he did land some lovely left hooks to the body himself in that round. Round four, much better round from Maloney. He seemed more focused. He was in and out with his punches. He didn't stay in the pocket long enough to get hit unnecessarily. It was smart stuff. Um, round five and six, so the mid kind of rounds, um, Franco started to take over really. He was walking Maloney down at times. He was putting the pressure on and Maloney was getting outworked. Um, I felt like Maloney was throwing too many hooks at times. He wasn't really neglect. Uh, sorry, he was, he was neglecting his jab um, at that point in the fight. Uh, he shouldn't have been doing that. And perhaps at times with all these hooks, he was loading up quite a bit. Perhaps he was a little bit too eager to impress on his US debut. Uh, round seven, a close round for me that um, I think Franco started off really well in. But then the second half of the round, I think Maloney stole it. Um, you know, again, he started jumping in and out with his shots. Real impressive. Um, it was nice to see, you know, to see him come back after a couple of, um, you know, rounds where he... He, he seemed to just lack that, that spring in his step. It seemed like he, he got it back here in round seven. Uh, round eight, Chris Algieri on the commentary said something that, that I felt completely nailed the situation. He said that Maloney was having a bit of an identity crisis and that he was caught in between whether he should box and move or stand and trade. And I felt that was a very good description of what we were seeing at that point. Franco seemed the stronger of the two. Um, and Maloney couldn't really put a dent in him despite landing eye-catching shots throughout the fight. He just needed to, to stick to his boxing in my opinion jump in land two or three shots then get out of there um franco won that round in the eighth um again franco won the ninth quite clearly um round 10 there was a bad cut on maloney's left eye at that point it was really bleeding a lot maloney was taking a bit of a beat down he had no answer for it and it was it was um getting a bit painful to see to be honest uh round 11 you know I've got to just say, I expected that in the later rounds, I'm not sure how many time, how many times Franco's been 12. I don't know if any of those fights with Negrete were over 12. I think they, I think at least a few of them, maybe two, maybe even all of them were 10 rounders. So I'm not even sure how many times um, Franco's been 12 rounds. Perhaps it was his first one. I, I, I haven't got box rack handy. I'm just going off off the top of my head. But I expected Maloney to be the guy in control in the late rounds, but it was the complete other way around, you know? Um... And, and yeah, round 12, I think he cruised it once again, Franco. So, for me, definitely the right winner. A bit wider on my card than the official judges' scorecards. But, um, you know, that's, that's what happens, you know. A message to young prospects out there. Sometimes you get offered a tough fight, you don't want to take it, blah, blah, blah. Um, sometimes, you know, it's right to not take it. But he took those fights, Joshua Franco, against Negrete. And I feel that they have stood him in good stead moving forward. Um, and also, he's, he's part of that RGBA, the Robert Garcia Boxing Academy, and the swearing in that gym is just unbelievable. It prepares you um, for, for the very best in the world. You know, the sparring you get in that gym is some of the best sparring you can get. So, um, all, all their fighters tend to do pretty well, and that's another world champion for Robert Garcia. I think that's his 13th world champion, which is amazing, because he's still a young a young trainer, if you like. Um but yeah, that's it for the review part there. We've whizzed through that. There is a little a little bit of news to mention. Friend of the show, um, Andrew Selby, apparently has decided to, to hang up the gloves. I haven't spoke to him um, personally, but everyone's reporting it as, as solid. I think he announced it on Facebook. 
It's a sad thing because, you know, he goes down as one of the most underrated and underachieved boxers in in, in recent history in Britain, for sure, and, and especially Wales. He was a tremendous amateur, and, you know, he beat Rosales, who, of course, went on to get a world title shot and win it. He didn't get the shots in Britain that he wanted when he was British champion. His, his whole career just didn't go the way we thought it'd pan out, you know, and it's a great shame because when he turned pro, he was one of my guys that I thought would win a world title, you know, I wouldn't even want to want to put money on it because in my eyes the odds you wouldn't even win any money back it was a dead certain you know but he's decided to retire and yeah he hasn't looked him his dominating self really in his in his previous couple of fights so i can understand he might be on the slide i think he's 31 years of age it's just a great shame i wish he turned pro much earlier oh boy this is sad actually um also i've heard and I cannot be 100% sure about this one, but I've heard Cheyafon Moonsri, also known as Wang Heng Meneofin, who has a record of 54-0, the WBC World Minimum Weight Champion. I've heard he's decided to step away from boxing, so that means he would leave the sport with a record of 54-0. However, I've also seen him say that after, I think, 24 hours, he decided to take a U-turn on that. So... I don't know what's true. I don't know if he's retired. If he has retired, then best of luck to him. Um, he's beaten Mayweather's record, of course, and he's, he's set history there. But if he hasn't and he's back, I'm wondering if that was a little ploy there um, for him to kind of vacate his WBC world title that he holds at minimum weight and perhaps he can come back and extend his his uh, his winning record against guys that aren't ranked in the top 15. Maybe that's what it was all about. Not quite sure. Just putting it out there, 34 years of age, the Thai fighter, a, a legend in my eyes. Um, and also, Jamel Herring, who was supposed to box Jonathan Aquendo. That fight, of course, has been postponed because Jamel Herring took a test, and it turns out that he has coronavirus. I've spoke to him just briefly, um, and it, it's quite scary, really, because as far as I knew, the top-ranked gym was in a real, um, you know, um, safe environment, it was, you know, you've got to be tested to be allowed in the gym, I think Andrew Maloney said he wasn't allowed in the gym until he'd passed the coronavirus test, um, Jamel Herring obviously was in that gym, and then all of a sudden he pops for, uh, for <laughs> I say it like it was drugs, you know, he pops for coronavirus, um, I spoke to him, he's, he's, he's feeling pretty good, he's okay, he thought he just had a mild cold, he told me, um, which is good, you know, the health of, of him, of course, is, is paramount, and that's the priority here, but sad for him, really, because um, he wanted to stay active, and um, unfortunately, you know, that fight's had to be called off for, for obvious reasons, I just hope that he hasn't accidentally infected other people in that gym, I'm sure they're going to step up the stringency of, of everything, um, another piece of news that broke just today, Frank Warren has announced the rescheduling of Dubois and Joyce, it's going to be taking place on October 24th, um, they're expecting a crowd by that point, so tickets are on sale now, they start at £40, they go up to £400 for ringside with hospitality, um, I, I still think that's quite um optimistic if i'm being honest um to, to think that, that you can you know sell loads and loads of seats at the o2 arena 
um, by that time. You know, if we get a second wave, the fight's completely off. So uh, not quite sure how much weight that holds at the minute. It's too early to tell. But that's all the news. Moving on to the preview part before we bring in our sole guest on this week's show. This one takes place later tonight at the bubble in the MGM Grand Las Vegas. Top rank putting on a show. Um, not much going on on the undercard really apart from Abraham Nova, 18-0. He takes on Avery Sparrow over 10 rounds. But the main event, Jason Maloney, just, just 48 hours after he witnessed his brother take his first loss. Um, he's 20 and 1. He takes on Leonardo Baez, who's 18 and 2. Baez has been in there um, with with a bunch of nobodies, really. Um, the one guy that that I notice on his record is Julio Cesar Martinez, who we know well, obviously for, uh, for 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 taking on Charlie Edwards and people like that. Well, Martinez is uh, a guy that stopped him in two rounds. So yeah, I'm not sure what we're gonna what we should expect from Leonardo Baez. Um, on the Friday, there's a couple shows really in Mexico and in America, but nothing really to report. Same for Saturday, nothing really going on, I don't think, on the Saturday. Um, in fact, no, apparently Ryan Martin, 22-1, and one, that's the guy that lost to Josh Taylor in the... Uh, in the World Boxing Super Series, I think in the first in the first leg or whatever, he hasn't boxed since. I think he's back actually on Friday um, in in Florida. Oh, sorry, Saturday, I should say. Um, and then yeah, now we move over to next Tuesday. Obviously, this will take place by the time next week shows out. Um, back at the MGM Grand at the Bubble, um, Jose Vargas, who's sixteen and one, takes on Salvador Brasino, who's seventeen and five, and Alex Salcedo, twenty nine and one, takes on Sonny Fredrickson, twenty one and two. That could be a real competitive fight. So we'll we'll certainly uh, be be watching that one for sure. So should you if you're listening to me. But that's everything. We've we've I should say I have. We haven't. It's just been me. I have brought you the review part. I've brought you the preview part. We went over the the news, which was good to have something to discuss on that part. And um, now it's, it's it's over for the talking. The final thing to do is to welcome my sole guest on this week's show. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former two-time IBF Super Featherweight World Champion and former WBA Lightweight World Champion. It is, of course, Mr. Tony Lopez. Tony, welcome to the show, my man. Thank you very much. How are you doing? Excellent. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. I can't complain. Great, man. Great. Okay, so Tony, I want to I wanna start this with a basic opening question, really. Um, what's your earliest memory of, you know, first ever having an interest in the sport of boxing, perhaps putting gloves on for the first time? What's your earliest memory? You know, to be honest, um, uh, I remember how I even got started. I, I was always fighting. I, I like to fight. Um, I've always had. I'm old now, so. But, you know, when I was younger, I've always liked to fight. And, uh uh, that's what I was doing. That that's how I got into boxing. My brother was fighting. He was fighting before me, and his trainer was coming by a couple of times when I was eight years old fighting in the street. And went back and asked my dad if he could train me. My dad said no, not till I'm ten. So at ten years old, guess what I was doing? I was still fighting in the street. He came by. He said, "Hey, you want to fight?" I go, "Yeah." I thought he wanted to watch, you know, because I was getting ready to get him to fight. And he he goes, "Well, jump in the car." And I looked at him like, "Huh?" He goes, "Jump in the car." I remember jumping in the car, went to the gym, never stopped going. Oh, that's amazing, man. So street fighting at the age of eight then. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was fighting kindergarten, dude. It really was. <laughs> and, you know. And did you have any, uh, did you have any, you had amateur fights, obviously, before turning pro, I'm guessing, yeah. Oh, yeah, I had, you know what, back then, 
back in our days, we really didn't do a whole lot. You know, I fought all the time. I, I mean, you know, I, I won the Genopics six out of seven times. I went to the Golden Gloves once, and and then uh, I was supposed to fight in the daytime, and I thought I was supposed to fight at night. So I went down to San Francisco fight at night, and they said, hey, man, you got defaulted out. I'm going, I did? I'm going, I didn't know I was supposed to fight yet. So, yeah, I was supposed to fight this afternoon, so I got defaulted out. So, And I never went back. I just thought, okay, that was a waste of my time. Yeah, very very unorganized back then. But um, yeah, let's let's get on to the you know the, the professional career. You turned pro on May the third, nineteen eighty three, in Sacramento against a man by the name of Juan Rodriguez. Obviously, it was a five round contest, but you only needed one to get rid of your opponent. Do you remember much of your debut? You know, I do. Um, you know, it was it was it was like a it was, it was just like another amateur fight, you know. Your debuts are like, you know, because you're still really an amateur, you know. Even when you make your pro debut, you know, just because you are a pro doesn't mean you ain't got you ain't out of the amateur ways. And you know, it's, you know, it was, it was kind of real easy. It was the smaller gloves were nice. I remember using the eight ounce uh, uh, Reyes gloves. I liked them. And then uh, you know, just caught them, and that was it. Yeah, absolutely. And if we if we skip forward to September the 1st of 1987. By this point, you're 26-0 with 19 KOs. Uh, that would be the night you box Ramon Rico, who, of course, at the time only had a record of 10-8. and 8. Um, It would go down as your first career loss, but, of course, it was by disqualification in round seven. I know what happened there, but um, just for those that could be listening that don't know, just explain what happened there, your first loss. Well, the first off, uh, you know, Ramon Rico, we, 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 were, we were fighting. And I, I think I threw a right hand and dropped him. But when he fell, when he dropped, he went down to his knee. But, you know, I, okay, like I told everybody, as a fighter, you see everything. So if, if, he, if he flinches, I see it, you know, and I react to it. I, you know, you don't teach people how to fight necessarily. You, you do, but you teach them how to react. You know, to what they're doing, and so when he made that motion up, I hit him again, and then he went down and in, in his corner. Who was Jimmy Montoya? Told him to stay down, and so uh, he looked at that Jimmy, Jimmy, and Jimmy's telling him to stay down. Talking to him in Spanish, to him, stay down, stay down. And the next thing you know, they you know they disqualified me, and I'm going, uh, okay, whatever. You know, I mean, you know, it is what it is. You can't really cry about it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I understand completely there, but only three weeks later in the very same building, that's when you avenged the loss by knocking Rico out, this time in three rounds. Um, two fights after that, you know, we're now in March of 1988. That's when you stopped Tony Pep in three rounds. Now, Tony Pep was a tough fighter. Of course, he'd never been stopped, and uh, he was only ever stopped once after that or other than that night, and it was 13 years later when he boxed um, our very own Ricky Hatton, who, you know, still didn't do it in as quick of a time as you did it. You did it in three rounds, like I say. Tony Pep, again, another guy that's been in there with the likes of Floyd Mayweather. Um, looking back now, was that your best win at the time? What do you remember about that one? You know, watch, taking nothing away from all fighters. Any fighters that gets in the ring, they're going to be dangerous. Doesn't matter if he, if he does. It doesn't matter if he has no knockouts or 100 knockouts. It doesn't matter because anybody can get lucky in any, in, at any given time. So you know, saying in saying that, Tony Pep was was probably one of the one of the two tallest guys ever fight. I think he was six one or six foot, 
and uh, and uh, you know, but see, he was made for that for me, you know, because I and my and the way I fought, I fought coming in, and you know, and, and when you're tall like that, which I've noticed even back then, because you know, I, I studied fights too, and the, what happens is when you get a tall fighter that's a short fighter. When they hit the ropes, the first thing the, the tall fighter does is go straight up. His head goes straight up. So you ain't even got to look. You just throw an overhand right to catch him. It's just because the body tells you where the head's at, right? And that's what I did, you know. But say, in saying that, Tony Peck was a, was a very, very uh, uh, challenging fighter. I mean, don't take nothing from him, you know. You can't. Yeah, for sure, and I never understand how he made the weight as well. I think he's officially listed at six foot one and a half. It's incredible that he made um, uh, super featherweight back then. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, amazing. And and like I say, you knocked him out on March twenty fifth. Um, Ricky Hatton knocked him out on March twenty sixth. So March probably not one of his best months. Tony Pep. Um, your very next fight would be the one I'm sure you'll never forget the night you, you become the IBF super featherweight world champion uh, of, of course the fight was against Rocky Lockridge the fight had everything both of you had, had big moments in the fight you were down in round 8 um, I think it was a big right hand to the temple um, you know made you lose your, your balance you got back up off the canvas so you climbed up and won a unanimous decision over 12 rounds it ended up being the Ring Magazine's 1988 fight of the year tell us about that epic night there tony you know what uh, it was crazy um people ask me all the time were you nervous was you scared were you what were you now what was your moment like you know uh it, it was none of that you know i remember i remember being my manager my manager was at the time was jimmy anderson he owned the pacific coast building practice like a coast coast company he was my friend of the family he was a big you know big time good great guy good, was my manager at the time and we were at his house before the fight. And I remember they had to wake me up to say, hey, look, we got to go to the auditorium now. It's time to, to, to go fight. And they woke me up and I was asleep. I get down to the auditorium and, you know, it's just, it's just the same thing. Because watch, he, and I was young, so I didn't know. I was young. But, you know, I've always watched Rocky Lockers. Even before I fought him, I, as, as a kid, I'm looking, I'm looking at the fights. My dad always watched fights. And I'm watching him fight, I'm going, man, I want to fight that guy. You know, I want to fight him because he's so tough. You know, he's, he's a killer. That's why I wanted to fight him. You know, because as a kid, I wanted to, I wanted to fight, the, fight the fights that were that people wanted to see. I wanted to fight the fights that may, I may not win. I may I might get my butt with. But you know what? It's going to be a great fight. And, and, I, and I like that challenge. You know, today's boxing is nowhere near that anymore. They fight, they fight for, okay, I want some money. No, back then... Hey, you you sign a contract, you get what you get, and, and that's what you signed for. So you're obviously happy with it, and that's how I was. So I just wanted to fight. I wanted to fight the fights that bring up the best in me and them. And so when I when I was getting ready to fight Rocky, it was like a childhood dream come true for me, you know. But you know, at that I put that aside and trained for Rocky. You know, I trained as just as hard as I as hard as I could by, by any standards. You know, I kind of think, okay, we're going to go to war. I'm not going to back down. He's not going to back down. And we're going to see who, who backs down first. Because it's going to be one of them type of fights. But I was ready for it. I was mentally ready for it. I was physically ready for it. I was ready for it. I've been ready for that since I was a kid. You know? And that, that was my dream fight. And now that it was happening, you know, it didn't seem like a dream no more. It, it, all that 
stuff of dreaming as a kid to fight Rocky Lockers. Now that the fight is happening, I don't even think about that anymore. I'm thinking about doing what I got to do to win this fight, you know. And so when the fight came, you know, it's, it's kind of like this. This is, this is crazy. It was, it was, we were in the auditorium held, I think it was 15,000, 10,000, whatever it was. I don't remember what it was. But whatever it was, uh, I'm, I'm in the background. Rocky Lockers went out first because uh, uh, he said he'd go out first. He didn't care. And so he went out first. And then, uh, you know, the crowd's cheering, doing all the stuff they're doing. And then I'm in the background in the in the hallways underneath the the seats, you know, the where the seat, people sit, there's that big hole. So I'm in the background and I can see all I can see the ring, I can see Rocky Lockridge up in the ring doing what he's doing. And then they say, Okay, Lopez, you have fifteen seconds. And then they go ten, and then they go nine, eight, and they start counting down. And then at, when they hit it one second, this hit the they hit the switch to the light. And when when, the, when they hit the switch, the light was crazy. Because now, mind you, I'm on the cement floor. We're in an auditorium. It's a cement floor. The crowd cheered so loud that my whole body was shaking. It was it was crazy. I can't I can't I can't describe it. But my whole body was shaking, and it kind of pumped me up, you know. And then it was and then like I mean, as I as I remember, they said, "Okay, let's go." All the all the Everything that was in my head went away. It was gone. And it was it was focused. It was straight focus. There was nothing else. And I get up to the ring. I, I you know I'm in the ring. I'm it's all business now. You know I don't care who he is. I don't you know I'm going with his butt no matter who he is. So it's all business at this at that point. When they said let's go, all the excitement, all that, all the the goosebumps you get from the from the your crowd cheering, all the stuff, everything that you had before that is gone. In an instant, and I walked up and I, you know, I did what I did. You know, <laughs> nice, no, brilliant to hear the backstory because, like I say, it was a fabulous fight and it had everything. It had absolutely everything. You know, all the makings of what was a fantastic fight. Um, of course, your first defense of the title came three months later against John John Molina, who. You know, was a very good amateur, but at that point, he hadn't really done too much in the professional ranks. Of course, he'd go on to become a three-time world champion, and, you know, you'd, you'd go on to have a trilogy with him. But this was the first of the three fights you had with him. Um, what do you remember of it? Obviously, uh, you were down, I think, in, in the second round, if I'm not mistaken. But again, you climbed up and won unanimously. Yeah, you know what? Um, the first fight was kind of like, a, you know, he, 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 he was kind of hard to figure out, you know. Because uh, he moved so much, you know. Now, if he would have stood in front of me, different story. You know, that was the third fight where he stood in front of me. When you move around and make me think, you know, because I'm a fighter, I'm not a boxer. When fighters fight, it's easy just to say, "You hit me, I hit you," and let's see who goes first. You know, it's easy to it's easy just to throw your arms. That that's the easy part. You know, getting hit is is easy. You just got to be able to take it. You know, and if you're if you're mentally ready for it, then you'll then you'll prepare yourself for it. And so that wasn't the, that was the easy part, but he didn't do that. John John Molina came out in that first fight, giving giving me all kinds of angles to the left, to the right, jabs, moving. I'm going, I can't keep up with this guy. He's fast, and, and he was in and out, in and out, back to the left, to the right. And it was confusing for me. So, was it a great fight for me that night? No. Uh, did I get caught? Yeah. You know, and it didn't even hurt. It was more like a. Just a little pink thing, and, I, and I'm sitting because he hit me, and I fell, I fell on my butt, and I'm going, 
oh, this is kind of embarrassing, you know? And and then so I get up, you know? And then uh, but I thought it was more embarrassing than anything. And I remember thinking to myself, this is kind of embarrassing. And then I got up, but I never really got up because he was just, he was, he was hard to figure out because he kept moving so much. You know, he wasn't like a, a normal, a normal opponent that just stand, stood in front of you and fought. You know, maybe a little moving, that's fine. But this guy moved a ton. And for me, that's the first, the first time was confusing, you know. Yeah, for sure. He was he was a puzzle. Uh, he, he really was. Um, you know, again, five months after that, that's when the rematch came. You gave Lock, uh, Rocky Lockridge the rematch. The, the result would end the same way. A 12-run unanimous decision in favor of yourself. Slightly wider, though, this time than, than the first fight. Yeah. And you know what? Honestly, when you have a spectacular fight, like a like, you know, fight of the year, the second fight never seems to be, never seems to make that top bill again. You know what I mean? Although they bill it that way, it never seems to happen. Because by that time, you figure the fighter out, you know? Uh, by that time, I had figured him out. You know, was it easier? No fight's ever really easy. And, I, and, and, and don't, don't let me misinterpret it if I said, yeah, it was easier because it was easier than the first fight. So the fight wasn't easy. It was just easier than the first fight. You know, the first fight, after the first fight was done, you know, I was sore every day getting up out of bed from the fight. And so I, I started counting the days. I'm going, I wonder how many days I'm going to be sore before I can stop being sore when I get out of bed. Well, I counted. It took me 30 days after that first locker fight to get out of bed without feeling any pain. It took 30 days. But that's how much you extend yourself during a fight, you know? So the second fight wasn't near that. And it was more like a, I, I knew I could take a, I knew I could I could move more, and, and it, so it wouldn't be so 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 such a hard fight on your body. You know what I mean? And it seemed to work. You know, so it worked out for me second time too. And then again, you know, you were very active as a champion. Just three months later, you're in with Tyrone Jackson. Um, if nothing else, he was a big, big puncher. But you stopped him, though, in eight rounds in Nevada. Um, it would be your last successful defense, though, of that particular reign. What do you remember about the, the Tyrone Jackson fight? Uh, you know what? I, I remember he didn't want to come to Sacramento. I remember that he wanted to fight. He, he would go fight anywhere but Sacramento. He wanted to, I think they wanted to fight in New York, if I, if I remember right. And I thought, well, shoot, I'm the champion. He's got to fight where I want to fight at, you know? So then they settled on Lake Tahoe. And then I thought, okay, whatever. That's like Sacramento uh, West or East, anyways. And, uh, and I said, okay, whatever. And I went down there. And you know what? Uh, I, I, Tyrone was, 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 he was not, he wasn't, he didn't do a whole lot, you know? So I can, I, I dictated the pace of that fight, you know? Uh, I, I don't know why he didn't come out, come at me more. I'm not saying he didn't. At times he did. But, you know, when you're fighting for a world title, remember, you know, back in them days, you, if I was a champion to take my title, I felt you not only have to beat me up, but you have to beat me down to take my title. If you don't do that, then it ain't going to happen. You know, that's the same way I felt when I walked in with Rocky Lockridge the first time. I don't know. I don't just have to beat him up, but I got to beat him down to take his title. You know? And so, and, and, and then when I was fighting with, uh, with Tyrone, it really wasn't doing that. So, and then I started seeing him come successful, susceptible to some punches in the later rounds, in the middle rounds. And so I did, that's why I started landing him in Kyle. You know, that was it. 
Yeah, it really was a brilliant, a brilliant win there. And then, of course, four months later would be the night you lose the title in a rematch to John John Molina, um, a TKO loss in in round ten. But you know, since you'd beaten him the first time, he'd kind of gone on a little bit of a separate path. I think he picked up the WBO world title. Um, was it? Was it? Correct me if I'm wrong. Was it on the line when he boxed you? Was it a unification? No, no, no. It was just mine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that yeah. one, Tony. Well, you know what? Um, every t- oh, you know, again, he, he's a, he's a good fighter. You got to give him credit. There's, you know, but in the second time, I was already starting to have trouble making the weight. You know, I've already started having trouble making that, and 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 it showed a little bit in that fight. Uh, I'm not saying not using that for an excuse. That that's no excuse. That you know, as a matter of fact, when and 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 honestly, I, I don't think he did it on purpose. Uh, I, I because watch. I remember him throwing out, a, I think it was a right hook. I went under it, but I remember going under it and picking my head up right away, you know, because I wanted to throw another punch back, right? But when he came back, he came back with his elbow, right? And his elbow, because it has to be his elbow. Am I, sure, am I 100% positive with his elbow? No, because I didn't see it. All I seen at the very last second was right on my eyeball, there was a, a little patch of skin. So I'm assuming it was his elbow. And it just hit my eye, and it what it did forced my eye back, and all the cartilage and muscle behind your eye had nowhere to go, so it blew a hole in my socket. So I had bro- I had a broken eye socket. So, and then so I went back to my that happened in the second round, I believe. I think it was the second round, second or third. And then uh, you know uh, uh, within that minute, my eye was it was closed 100. percent And so I went up there for the next round, and then, and then it, it hurt. Tremendously on top of that. So I go out to the next round, and I'm not doing so good. The ref, after the round of that, the referee comes to my corner, and I'm sitting, I'm sitting in, in my seat, and I get a cut over my left eye in, this, in, that, in that round after that. So now I got a cut over my left eye. My right eye is 100% closed, and I can't see anything. So the guy goes, close your, close your uh, left eye. He goes, how many fingers am I holding up? And I swear I couldn't see. But little, and we never practiced it. We never even talked about it. But my corner man, on the on the the one that gives me my water, little Tony, hit my leg three times, and out of the I, I don't know where it came from, and I go three, because we never practiced it. He hit my hat, my leg three times, and I go three. He goes, okay, you can go, you can continue. <laughs> I'm going great. So and then after that, it was just like a it was like a it was like a little uh, you know like those shooting range for for little ducks, just ping 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 and. And that's what it was like. I mean, this guy was, he hit me so much, I thought the referee was punching at me. You know what I mean? And, but see, the, the crazy part is like in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth rounds, he was killing me. And if you're going to stop that fight, I figured, why would you stop it in those rounds instead of the 10th round? Because I, I honestly think that in the ninth round, he was tired of kicking my butt. He really was. I think he, he tired himself out trying to kick my butt. Uh, and so, and me thinking, okay, well, look, he ain't gonna knock me out. So as long as I, as long as I, as long as I'm standing up, I can't see him. So I had to wait for him to hit me before I can swing back. And half the time, that's why I would, half the time, if you watch that fight now, half the time when I'm punching, it's because he's already gone because I got to get his first, you know. And so, uh, I was, that's what I was doing. And then finally, in the tenth round, I think it was the tenth round, I get hit, I get caught with two jabs. I just never saw him coming. And, you know, my head bounces back a couple of times and the referee stops the fight. 
But see, in the ninth round, I did pretty good, and I wasn't doing too bad in the tenth round because he, like again, he was tired of kicking my butt. And I'm not going to say I was going to win the fight. Of course, you know, according to his scorecard, there's no way in the world I would have won the fight. But you know, I always thought you have a bunch of chance. You never know; anything's possible. And so, but when he stopped the fight, I'll, trust and believe me, it hurt so bad that you know I, I acted like I was mad. But in my in, in my in my head, I was saying I was saying thank you God, because it hurt, and it hurt really bad. And so you know, and that, and I really was saying that. And so when they finally stopped the fight, you know, and then after the fight was over, everybody, uh, trainers, uh, managers, uh, you know, everybody, but my even my family members said, hey man, maybe you need to retire, man. Maybe you 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 know you. Done did what you did. You did you did a lot already. Maybe you should just quit, you know? I'm going, I don't know. I don't know. He got lucky. You know, I had trouble making weight. So, no, no, I'm not quitting. So then uh, uh, they said, okay. And you would not believe the papers, the TV. Everybody said, oh, he's pretty much done. You know, he's, it's over for him, right? And my attitude was, screw you. No, I'm not. You know, I'll tell you when I'm done. And so... I didn't do anything for a few months. I had, to, I had to get an operation on my eye. They had to put my, me must some put all that stuff back together and did all that stuff. And I had to wait a few months for it to heal. And then one day I just walked into the gym and I started training. You know, after after my eye healed, I walked into the gym, started training. And then even my dad said he wanted me to retire. You know, so he goes, I was training for like about I don't know, maybe a month. My dad goes, well, he goes, what are you gonna do? I go, I'm going to fight. And he goes, okay. He goes, who are you going to fight? I said, Molina. I go, I'm going back and get my title. And he goes, you sure you want to fight him? And I go, yeah, that's who I want to fight. I go, that's who took it. That's the title I'm going to go after. And he goes, okay. He goes, I can't stop you. He goes, so I'm going to help you. Okay, let's go. And then I started training for the third one. And, you know, that happened in, was that Reno, I believe? And I won it back. Yeah, I mean, you had the fight in between, obviously, against um, Sylvester Kennan. You took him out in two rounds, of course. And then, um, yeah, that's when the third fight come. Again, this time you you had um, Molina down in round 11. And that punch, correct me if I'm wrong, actually won you the fight. Because if you hadn't scored that 10-8 round, I think it would have ended in a split draw. Um, but yeah, tell us about that night when you became a two-time world champion and, of course, ended that trilogy as the overall winner. Yeah, you know what? I, I you know I don't know. I, I I can't say it. It would have been, but if that thing would have been a draw, that was crazy. So I kicked his butt. I didn't kick his butt every round, but I would say if there were if there after twelve rounds, I definitely won at minimum eight of eight of those rounds. If now if they would have gave me a draw, someone I would have been pissed. I'm like, no way. But you know, it is like it did, so I'm not mad. <laughs> And again, you know, your first defense of the second reign came against the former IBF and WBO featherweight world champion, Jorge Paez. Of course, Jorge had vacated his belts to move up to super featherweight. He hadn't lost them in the ring or anything like that. He he vacated and moved up to fight you. We all know he was a real tough Mexican. And of course, the fight ends in a split. Uh, sorry, a 12-round unanimous decision for yourself. September 1990, and uh, there was there was a record broken that night as well. Tell us about the fight and the record breaking. Yeah, you know what? Uh, Piers was a, was the big 
name in boxing at the time. He was in the way he was in, he was one actually a weight division lower than me, but he was huge. He wasn't just a name; he was a huge, big name. And he wanted to move up to 130 to fight for my title. And so after that last fight, they you know I heard that he wanted to fight. Him. I said, "Well, shit, tell him to come on up," you know. So yeah, I'll fight him. So you know, talked to the managers. We said, "Yeah, okay, let's do it." And then uh, uh, because see, here, here's what people really don't know. See, I'm an old school fighter. You know, like even today, like if you go online, if you go onto YouTube today, you put you punch in boxing basics with Tony the Tiger Lopez. I'm getting boxing lessons free. You know what? And I'm going to give them like they did back in the '70s, and when and when it was my time, because that time they don't teach the stuff I'm teaching people right now. You know, if you go on YouTube, you're going to learn stuff that pros don't even know. How can I prove that? Because look at this. They let Manny Pacquiao come up from 108 pounds to 154 beating the best in the world. Why? Because he's a southpaw and no other champion and or content top world contenders knew how to fight a southpaw. You know what? Back in the back in my time, he'd have got knocked out. There's no way no he, he would have never got my past my carball. And what was my carball? One nineteen, one 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 something like that, one one nineteen, one twelve. He would have never got past my carball. You know, but because he came up in that time and everything, and although he's really good for boxing, I'm not mocking him. But what I'm saying is boxing's changed a lot. You know, now fighters are fighting for the money and not really fighting knowing what they're doing. You know, because how, how, I mean, how many times, I mean, look, if you're a softball, I've fought two or three softballs in my time. I've knocked out two or three softballs because they're easy to fight. They're just as easy as anybody out there if you know how to fight them. But today's trainers don't know how to train their fighters how to how to fight southpaws. You know, it's almost it's embarrassing. Hmm. That's interesting. I don't know how I got on that tangent. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how I got on that tangent, <laughs> but I did. <laughs> but no, tell us about the uh, the you know you broke a record. You didn't you didn't explain which record that was. Oh yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, uh, because again, because Jorge Baez he was a huge name. And you know, and I was huge in Sacramento. You know, I was huge getting getting. I was nowhere near Piaz, but Piaz was a huge name. And the two, they thought, man, if they put us the two together, having Sacramento, it would be a sellout crowd. And we had just gotten a new arena, so and that and and I think this for for boxing, it held eighteen thousand people. Well, we put eighteen thousand people in there, and we had turned from what I hear, they turned away thousands of people that couldn't make the fight because it was already packed. It was already to capacity, you know, and, and, you know, and to me, you know, he, well, let me tell you something about Horty Pius. You know, he's, he doesn't hit hard. Well, he didn't hit hard for 130. I've been hit a lot harder. Uh, I'm not saying he could knock me out. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I've been hit a lot harder. So I wasn't worried about his power. And, uh, uh you know, but, he, but one thing about him, he was really hard to hit solid. You can hit him. But, you know, it had to be fast because he moved so fast. And he moved so much. To hit him solid, you had to get lucky. You know, maybe he had to run into it or maybe he moved his head and you had to catch him. That's why he didn't get knocked out or dropped too often because he moved his head very, very well. You know, and he could react to it. He had that He had that gene that says, I'll make you miss and make you pay. You know, he just – now, if he could carry that punch up when he came up from 26 to 130 – It'd have been a different story, but you know, at one thirty, he just to me, he just didn't hit hard, you know. 
And and once again, that year 1990 was, you know, a year of recognition once again, because uh, am I right in saying the Ring magazine had had uh, given you the comeback fighter of the year for that year? Yes, sir. Yeah, there you go. So that's excellent, man. Uh, moving on to the next fight. We're now in March of 1991. It's, it's against the WBA world champion. Uh, you attempt to unify against Brian Mitchell. The fight ends, though, in a split draw over 12 rounds. Tell us about that one, Tony. I, again, you know, uh, weight becomes a problem. Uh, you, know, you know, I've been telling my managers that I need to move up, that I want to move up, I want to fight for 135. And they're going, okay, just one more fight, just one more fight. They keep pushing it, you know. And, it, and, and, you know, for, uh, watch, if people really understood what I had to do to make weight for these fights, they would go, man, how did you, how did you even stand up after the first round? I don't know. You know, it's, it's what I did. I used to lose 30 pounds for every fight. And you know what? As I got older, and it was in the Mitchell, like, again, a couple fights for the Mitchell fight started getting hard. Mitchell fight was very hard. I made it, but it was very hard. You know, and I knew I wasn't be able to do this if I was one more fight or maybe not. I don't know, you know, but I made it the first fight, but I killed myself making, you know. And so, you know, and the fight wasn't really me. You know, that's that's one of the fights that, you know, I don't know. It's just I, it, I couldn't. I was I was I was burnt. I burned myself trying to make weight, you know. And, and that's not, I'm not saying that's an excuse. It's not because he did beat me, you know. Uh, it's not an excuse. Um, that night he was better than me. No, no doubt about it, you know. But it's not because of, uh, it's because I was trying to hold on to weight that I should let go, you know. And it didn't happen for me that night, you know. Tony, that's that was obviously the rematch. I, I was I was referring though to the draw, the two, a couple of fights earlier when you had that draw the first time round. Yeah, no, that's what, that's uh, what I'm talking okay. about, the draw. Oh, so you thought, yeah, yeah. You thought he so did enough to one. win the, the draw? Honestly, that's the fact, that's, like I said, that's, that's the one to, to be really flip a coin in the air. Whoever won, won. And it's a good win. You know, I'm, I'm not going to complain and say I won. I'm not going to complain and say I lost. You know, it is what it is. You know, that's being, that's being honest. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I didn't perform at my best, you know, and so I wasn't really sure if I did enough to win or not. I don't know. Yeah, and, you know? and like you mentioned, you know, weight weight became a real problem um, at, the, at this stage. Uh, you did successfully defend your belt once after against Lupe Gutierrez before having that rematch with Brian Mitchell. Uh, this time, again, this would be your, your second world title reign coming to an end. A unanimous decision loss over 12 rounds. Um, I'm, I'm guessing it's pretty much more of the same, really, Tony. More weight issues, and this obviously would be your last fight at Super Featherweight. Um, what do you recall of that night, though? Watch. Uh, that, 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 for that fight, I never made the weight. I never made it. Um, I weighed 130 and three quarters, I believe. Uh, I went back for four hours, I, I believe. To, but I was dead before I even made, made, got on the scale. I killed myself trying to get on the scale. I got on the scale, I weighed 130 and three quarters. And you got to understand, I walk around at 160, you know, in between fights, and I make 130. So I lose 30 pounds for every fight. And, you know, it, and, and honestly, I gained so much weight overnight, but it was normal for me. I've been doing it since I was a kid. I've been doing this since I was like 18, 19 years old. You know, so it was nothing for me. You know, and, and I heard, uh, well, I guess 
another fighter did it later on. They found out he's been doing it years later, like five or six years later. I'm going, shoot, I've been doing that my whole life. I mean, what's, what's the big deal? You know, anyways, so, you know, for that, for that second, I don't know, man, it was just like a, you know, I, I, I've never watched the fight. I refuse to watch the fight. I've never watched it. To this day, I've never seen it. Uh, because when I stepped in that ring that day, I never made the weight. I killed myself trying to make the weight. I spent another four hours in, in a sauna with, a, with plastics on with abalene in my body trying to, make, to jump rope for another four hours to not make the weight. I, I, left the, I left the weigh-ins at 130 and 3 quarters, went to a sauna, jumped rope for three, four hours, came back. I was still weighed 130 and 3 quarters, didn't lose a freaking ounce, got to the fight. And that has to kill your spirit, you know, because it really does. The first, the first miss killed your spirit, and then you go back for four hours and try to lose again. The second one, you didn't lose a mouth. So, in all, in all honesty, I couldn't tell you anything about that second fight because I don't remember it. No, that's. Funny. I really don't. That's fine. I have no concept of that second fight. I was going to ask if you ever wanted to have the third fight with him, but um, obviously it's a strange one because. After that, that fight there, he retires for like three years, then he comes back at 140, which is pretty strange. And he never really, he come back for two fights, he just boxed, you know, guys of a much lower level, and then that was it, he retired. For yeah. Good. Did you ever want the third fight at some point at, at a bigger, at a higher weight? Hey, watch this. You know me, I look at this, hey, look, if you want to jump and do it again, we'll do it again. At 140? The whole new Tony Lopez at 140, yeah. you know, uh, and, and you know here's what's crazy. Now, I'll be honest with you, I lose 30 pounds for every fight. When I was fighting at 130, and I did it for years. And but but that you know for for the Mitchell fight it was that that was the last fight I, I I never made it. So but here's what I would do: I'd weigh in at 130, I'd weigh in at 129 and three quarters every time, every single time I was 129 and three quarters. By the fight time the next day, I was 159 and a half to 159 and three quarters every single time. But as I gained weight, you know, my fight weight would come down. Like when I moved up to 135, I think I only weighed, I would, I would probably come in about maybe 155, 158, you know, like a couple of pounds lighter. And when I moved up to 140, you know, I'd only come in about, I don't know, maybe 150, 153. You know, I, I guess it because it I wasn't starving myself so much anymore. You know, but that that my fight weight would actually come down. It wouldn't get so big. You know. Yeah, that, it was kind of weird. Yeah, that is pretty weird. I was going to say, what on earth? How on earth is that even possible? But you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, that was weird. And I and I didn't I didn't I ate the same. I did the same. I you know, I didn't change anything. So it's not my diet. You know. Weird. So I don't know weird um hmm. but yeah if we fast forward a year after that you know you move up to lightweight like we mentioned you have three fights winning all three by ko before boxing for the wba lightweight world title against the champion at the time the undefeated 29 and 0 joey gamash um october 24th 1992 was the date tell us about the night you become a three-time world champion tony uh you know what um i i we we knew joey was fast I expected that. Uh, now, in, as as some of you know, I don't know, a lot of people know, but uh, it's going to be one or the other. You're either going to hit hard and be a little bit slower, or you're going to be faster than crap and not hit so hard. Well, Joey was faster than crap. 
you know, he didn't hit very hard, but he was, but he was faster than crap. You know, he, was, he was fast. And I've always been told and I've always trained and, you know, like when I train, when I, when I, when I was weighing 160, I'd start with uh, small head weights, like maybe 205, 215. And I'd start sparring with head weights and, you know, throughout my career. And I'd go toe to toe with these guys. We'd bang. I, I I wasn't I wasn't trained to, for you know for fun, but as my weight came down, so did my sparring partners. You know the last person we used with that was a he was a world champion at one time was Willie Joran, and for the last two weeks of my training we used him because he only weighed I think he was like one fifteen or something like that one nineteen one fifteen, and he was fast, and it took me two weeks just to catch him, so I'd get the best of both worlds. I'd get uh, heavy hitting. You know, the hard punching guys that just want to take your head off. And then you end up with Willie Jordan, who was fast and crisp. You know, so by the time I got into the ring, you know, the guys that hit hard really didn't hit that hard. Because, I again, I'd start off with heavyweights, you know, and, and work my way down. You know, uh, and then, you you know, like with Joey, but Joey, <laughs> Joey was, was tough because he was fast. One time, it might have been like in the seventh round, uh, uh, and we, and I was tired, so I had to take. I want to take a little breather, you know, a little breathe in, and then so. But we are far enough away that I can think. Uh, we were in the neutral corner, uh, I, to the right right of my corner. So on the right side of my corner, we're in the neutral corner, and we're it's during the round. And but we're far away, different. I think. Okay, I'm gonna take a take a quick breath right here. So I took a deep depth, a deep breath in, and because he was far away enough, this guy. Jumps in, hits him with a one-two, bam, bam. And before my head came back, he was gone. And I'm going, shoot, he's still pretty fast. <laughs> you know, it didn't hurt, but it sure did look good. You know what I mean? And he was fast. And then, uh, but 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 Joey was so was someone like that as a, as as a fighter, as a as a as a fighter, not a boxer. You have an option. You have an option either get in his butt early, work the body, slow him down for the later rounds. And, you know, prepare yourself for the later rounds. And so that's what I did. You know, I knew I was going to lose the first the first half of the fight. That was without saying. You know, he's faster than I am, you know, uh, where I was going to come in at some later rounds, and that's what happened, you know. Taking nothing from Joey because he did. <laughs> he was pretty fast. Yeah, for sure. But, you know. And like I said. I had to stick to my big game. Yeah, stick to the game plan. Yeah. And yeah, 11th round TKO, you become a three-time world champion. Um, interesting scores at the time of the, scop- uh, the stoppage as well. One one card completely even, uh, one card having Gamash up by one, and the other card having Gamash up by four, which is uh, slightly surprising, really. Um, yeah, if we, if we fast forward now... Uh, only four months to, to the next fight. You're, you're back out defending your belt for the first time here against Dingan Fabella, who who was a you know an unbeaten fighter once again. Another guy with a record of 29 and 0. Um, sorry, not 29 and 0. 28 and he had a draw at the time, didn't he? Um, former WBO lightweight world champion. The fight was close, but you got the win unanimously over 12. Not everyone thought you deserved it, though, Tony. How do you recall that night there? You know, uh, he, to be honest, um, you know what? Every once in a while, you get a gift, and, and I, I'll tell you right now, it's a gift. You know, but uh, once in a while, even I deserve a gift, right? But 
but you know, taking nothing from him, he was a good fighter, you know. And you know, sometimes you just have off nights. You know, there, there's no excuse for it. Not not from not for me being where I'm at. You know what I mean? At the time of the fight, uh, you go in there. There's there's no problems. You trained well. You did all the stuff you're supposed to do. You made your weight on time. You did everything perfectly. You know, for that fight. But you get into the ring. You wake up that morning and you're going, oh shit. I mean, shoot. It's not gonna be a good day today, and you know it. You know the fighters know it, and and I'm not the only one that's ever that said that this has ever happened to. You know, and that's how I felt. I felt, man, <laughs> it's not gonna be a great fight. You just wake up that day not feeling it. You know, like like you're just not into it that day, and that you know it's just you have a bad day and a bad taking nothing from thing on it. It's a, he did he did you know he came and did what he did, but you know. For me, it wasn't my, it wasn't my best, and to get a draw, okay, I deserve one once in a while, you know, yeah, or a win or whatever, yeah. you know, yeah, I, you know, I, I I deserve something once in a while. So was it probably a gift? Yeah, you know, I would say so. Yeah, that's only stuff you to say. But you know, but you know, I ain't got a lie to kick it. It is what it is, you know. Yeah, and I, I just don't think Sorry, if, if anything, watch. Let's bring back let's bring back what I said a minute ago. You not I'm the champion. You not only gotta beat me up, but you have to beat me down if you don't take my title in my town. In any champion's town. Yeah. So, you know, he didn't do that. And like I say, during your reign you were so active, you know, you're boxing every three or four months and again the rematch takes place four months later. This time you have to travel all the way to South Africa. Um, the result, however, would end, of course, your your third world title reign when Fabella was announced the unanimous winner. Um, what do you remember about that fight and just the whole experience traveling to a place like that? Because prior to that, you hadn't really even had to leave your hometown of Sacramento much, let alone leaving the whole continent and going somewhere like that. What was it? What was it all like? You know, let's talk about that first. Talk about not fighting at home. You know, the reason why I fight at home so much is. Because I'm the champion, I, I should be able to fight where I want to. I'm the champion. You, know, you fight where I want you to fight. We don't fight. It, 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 and it doesn't really, you know. I did it for Sacramento because Sacramento didn't, didn't have any. It had the Kings, but let's be real, they didn't have no really major sports at that point in time. You know, was it fun fighting in front of my hometown? Of course it was. Was it a little bit more work? Of course it is. Is it a little more? Is it a little bit more of a headache? I'm not headache, but a little bit more. That's uh, what I'm looking for. Is it a little bit more, uh, do you have to prepare yourself a little bit to make sure you show good? No, because I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I, I prepare myself for well, well for all my fights. So that never changed, you know. Uh, but I like fighting in front of my hometown because it's fun. You know, and if I'm the champion, unless you're giving me more money, I'll go. If not, you're fighting here. So, you know, like everybody knows, money dictates where the fight's going to be, you know. And they offered me more money, so I went. And and I'll tell you what, for anybody that's listening that's never been to, to, to South Africa, and if you want if you want a really, really, really cool experience, go. Make that your next big vacation. And you know, we played in a place we stayed in a place called uh, Sun City. You know, and Sun City is just gorgeous. Man, I can that that's probably the best trip I've ever been on in my life. You know, everybody was nice. Uh people thought you know, they didn't know what to, to expect me. 
And so we, we landed in Johannesburg, went to the TV thing, and then we drove a few hours to Sun City, and then uh, we stayed in Sun City. And, you know, they gave me some guys that would run with me. They gave me a training camp. They gave me everything I needed. And, you know, and so the last week, everybody knew I was there. And, you know, they thought they thought there would be problems because, you know, I'm a Hispanic fighting in South Africa um, during apartheid. I didn't care one way or another. I go, you know, to me, I mean, I'm a, at the time, I'm what, 27, 28? I don't remember how old I was, 29? I don't remember how old I was, but how, whatever age I was, my life was boxing. My life wasn't about, you know, worrying about what apartheid is. I had, not, I had no idea what apartheid was, you know. It's not my thing, you know. If it was my thing, then I, I could tell you, but it's not. So, you know, I keep my nose to myself. And so we get there. We had to take a, a guy with us that, that kind of knew all about that stuff. So he goes, okay. He was my spokesperson, whatever you call him. And so, you know, we get up the plane. He goes, okay. He goes, if they start asking you questions about apartheid, he goes, just move out of the way and I'll answer those questions. Goes, okay. <laughs> well, we get, we get off the plane. He goes, uh, guy comes, puts a, a mic in my mouth and he goes, uh, what do you think about apartheid? <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, Chris moved me aside and he started answering the questions, and it was great. You know, uh, he said, you know, you know, we come to fight for everybody. We don't fight for any any one group. We fight for all, everybody. You know, and so we just stayed on that, stayed on that note. I mean, I don't know anything about apartheid. And so the last week before the fight, I wanted to run outside because Sun City is like a it's like a city within a city, kind of. Because you drive from Johannesburg to Sun City. And Sun City's got walls. I, I, I couldn't tell you how big it is. A thousand acres, ten thousand acres, a hundred acres, I don't know. But it was a huge, it had this huge wall. And then when you drove into the doors, the front doors of Sun City, it was like the the Wizard of Oz doors. The doors opened up really, really big, like half moon doors and they're huge. And I mean they they had to be, I don't know, I may be tripping, but I'm gonna say thirty, forty feet tall. And go down the long road, you go to the you go to the palace. The, the hotel is called the palace. And as you're driving up to the palace, it looks just like a palace. You walk in, for the first five minutes, you're looking up at the dome that they have, have in this palace because it's all painted in uh, in, uh, in uh, African paintings, you know? And it looks like it's done by hand. So you're going, oh my God, this is crazy. And you're sitting there looking, and then you go, you go inside and people are great. It's really fun. It was a really great place. And then, uh, you know, towards the end, I wanted to run on the outside. So they said, okay, well, you know, uh, we're going to have to put some guards go with you because it may not be safe for you. I'm going, care about being family. I'm a fire. I'm going to worry about not being safe. I don't really care. So they got, so they put some um, guards with me, right? So Pierre, a guy named Pierre was my running, was my running mate when I was there. So we went down this one road. It was about, five, six miles long or whatever it was. And so we start running down this road. And there's these little houses on the side of the road. I, I can't remember if they were little tiny houses or huts. And so, like, the people that were going with me were in jeeps, fully machine guns and a whole nine yards. And they were ready to all this stuff. You know, they had machine guns and everything. They were ready for war. I'm, I'm just a fighter, really. And so we're running down, and these kids are coming out of the house, right? Because uh, it's just before school time, and and they come to the house and they're going, "Hey, Tiger, get him, Tiger, get him, Tiger, go, Tiger!" And the whole thing was like that. It was me. And then at this five mile, we had this five mile long stretch of road that we're running down. And at the end, 
well, I didn't know it the first day, but uh, there's a bunch of kids at the end. It was a bu- it was a bus stop, and so I'm running, and that was the five mile mark, and so and and, and it was cool because you know they ran they ran to me because I had all the there was cameras there, and then the guys with the machine guns were there. And I, we were running, the, a group of us running, and then, um, so they start running towards me, and let's just say it was about a football field, a hundred yards out, and they turned around and we all sprinted in. You know, it was like a Rocky movie, right? So we all sprinted in. And so, you know, we're sitting there talking to them and, you know, having a good time with these kids, and, you know, signing autographs and all the stuff I had needed to do. So the next day, and their money is called Rands. And I think there was like maybe eight kids there. I think there's like eight kids or something like that. So the next day we took a hundred bucks, we changed it into Rands. And then we ran down there, we gave them all the, you know, we, we divided that money between them all, right? Well, <laughs> the next day, there was like 12 kids out there the next day. And we just kept dividing up the money. We just got more money and divided it up, you know. It was really good. It was cool. I had a great time. And then, you know, that was leading up to the fight. And so when the fight happened, you know, uh, the weight was great. I was on time. And now let me tell you my version of how the fight happened. You know, because I don't know. I don't know if people saw it or whatever. But the first six rounds of that fight, he fought. You know, and, and I got to give it to him. He fought hard, and so did I. And so, you know, uh, we're banging each other, but that's what I do. I don't care. So, again, you know, I'm ready. I'm a late starter. Uh, I get going after about the seventh round. About the sixth, seventh round, I start. I pick it up. Well, I picked it up, you know, and I started banging, and he stopped banging. Now he starts moving and running and going backwards and this and that doing all kinds of stuff, doing anything but fighting. He's fighting first now, you know. So my brother, who was my biggest critic, honest critic, you know, if, if he tells me you lost, you know, because I lost, you know. So if he tells me I won, then I know I won. And my brother was in my corner at the time. And so after the fight was over, uh, but, you know, again, I went to his town looking to, to, to take him out, right? But... So I, I look at it the same way. You know, if they come to my town, they got But as a champion, you got to beat, beat me up and beat me down. Well, you know, I'm the champion. So, and it, I didn't really think the fight was that close. So when it, when they raised, when, here's how it went. They didn't expect to have no blacks in the audience because it was during apartheid. They, you know, they just didn't have a lot of money, I guess. I, I really don't remember what the issue was but or how it went, but they didn't expect that. But that night, that's all. I'd say eighty percent of the crowd was black, and they were surprised. And the eighth round, they thought I was going to knock him out or, or beat him. So they brought in, and, and I didn't notice this until after the fight was over, because they told me they go, "Hey man, you know, eighth round, the National Guard or their army came in." I go, "Why?" He goes, "Man, he goes, people were getting quiet, man. They thought you were going to win." He goes, and "They didn't know what people were going to do." And so I'm, and I'm tripping out because after the fight was over, they announced him the winner. And I'm going, okay, whatever. You know, they announced, I'm, I'm not going to cry about it. It's over. What can I do, right? So, you know, I go, I go about my way. And, you know, you know, I was there for a few more days. And everybody I talked to go, hey, man, you know what? They took that fight from me, dude. You know, you, you took it. You know, we're sorry, you know, this and that. Even the next day in the paper, they had a big thing that said, hey, we're sorry that you came down here and took the fight from you. You know, the fight should have went your way, blah, blah, blah. You know, so, I, you know, but to me, it's boxing. You know, it, it is what it is. You know, I didn't care. I mean, you care, but, you know, it, I can't change it. So, 
you know, you move on, go get another tag or do something else, you know? Oh, that's crazy, man. Hearing the details about that and how, uh, you know, how detailed you were there was just a pleasure to listen to. Parts of that, I was closing my eyes and picturing being there. That was fun. Um, but no, I- I'm going to definitely watch that fight back and score it and let you know how I get on. Um, I'd like to yeah, see Yeah, for real. I will. Um, again, after that, you move up to super lightweight. You're at 140 now. You come back with two knockout wins over Larry LeCourcier and one over former world title challenger Amancio Castro before boxing. Former three-time world champion Greg Haugen at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. Now, it's probably fair to say that both of you had probably already seen your better days by this point, but what was it like to box him in Las Vegas, the mecca of boxing? You know, he was, um, here's my thing on Greg. I knew he talked a lot of smack. You know, he talked smack about it. Him and uh, Vinny Pazzini had them words all the time. And every time he fought somebody, he talked bad about him, you know. Vinny Pazienza Vinny, so, Vinny wants, uh, wants to beat him up to this day. When I spoke to him, he, he, he let me know that if he ever sees him in the street, <laughs> he wants to choke him out there and then. <laughs> His words. I know, I like I like Vinny though, man. He's I like the dude. He's a good. I like Vinny. Anyways, uh, but you know what? Um, I don't know, man. He never said anything bad about me. You know, he talked about kicking my butt. He talked about, but that's what he's supposed to do. You know, he's supposed to be confident. He's supposed to be talking about kicking my butt. You know, um, because I'm not a talk smacker or a smack talker. You know, I just go in and do my thing. You know, I, I train hard. I do what I have to do. You know, I prepared myself really well, and I'm going to come in and win this fight. And you know. And he never really talked smack, so he really didn't disrespect me. Uh, so we just went, when I went when I went into the fight, I was going in just to beat him. That was it, you know. Uh, he did mention that. See, here's where a lot of fighters are wrong, you know. And uh, like he told me, he goes, "Man, you know, you never been in the in the ring with somebody at 140. You don't know how hard I'm going to hit you. You know, I mean, dude, you have no clue. I start off with heavyweights. Well, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? I've been hit hard, a lot harder than you can ever hit." You know what I mean? And but I have, and, that, and that's how I was thinking. Why he was talking? I was thinking, okay, whatever. If that's what you're going off, of, you're you're in, you're, in a, you're in a bad spot. And you know, the fight happened, and you know, again, he didn't hit that hard. You know, um, so I attacked. You know, you know, I don't know what round it was, seventh, eighth round, ninth round, something like that. And you know, I got the win. So. Yeah, and that was a brilliant win, like I say. I think you had him down in round six and then uh, out of there in in the 10th and final round. Um, of course, in your next fight, you get the chance to become a four-time world champion. The date would be December 10th, 1994 in Mexico against the the legend that is Julio Cesar Chavez. Um, his record at the time was 91-1 and with a draw. Um, tell us about that night there. You know what? Uh biggest disappointment fight of my career hmm. uh um, for many reasons uh uh I, I went down there two months prior uh stating that i was going to box for 10 rounds i'm knocking them out 11th 12th round championship rounds one of us is getting knocked out because we're fighting i go but i'm gonna box for 10 rounds uh so I, for two months i'm telling the tv newspapers anybody that would listen because everybody's asking me what are you gonna do what are you gonna do the box for 10 rounds, I'll knock him on the last two. So the day before the weigh-ins, uh, around TV, he's talking smack. He's saying, oh, I'm going to knock him on. Like, yeah, whatever, dude. They asked me what was going on. I said, like I've been saying, I'm going to box for 10 rounds, I'm knock him on the last two. So the day of the fight happens. Well, the, the weigh-ins happen, right? 
And uh, so, but we're in Mexico, you know, and <laughs> if you don't know Mexico, now, now you will. Um, you know, you have Obacar, Trinidad, everybody's there. All these champions are there because they're on the card. Everybody's, everybody's fighting. Let's just say the weigh-ins are at 3 o'clock. I don't remember what time it was, but it's 3 o'clock. Well, we all get there. There's no Chavez. It's 4 o'clock. Everybody's there. Still no Chavez. It's 5 o'clock. We're all there. No Chavez. So now we're hungry. You know, we all, you know, dieted down to make the 140. So we're all hungry and we're all getting mad. And so about three hours later, Chavez walks in, jumps on the scale, because no one's allowed to touch the scale. They're not going to weigh anybody in until he weighs in. And so uh, 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 he comes in, he strips down, jumps on the, jumps on the scale. He's way over 140. That, that thing didn't even come close. That thing went straight, it stayed up. He went from the middle to up. He didn't, he didn't try to go down. And so he gets off and he takes off again. And now we're all, all the fighters are kind of, you know, mad. And so, and so he takes off for like another two hours, I think. And so we're all starving. You know, we're saying, hey, man, this is BS. You know, we need to get our, our ways in, our weight, our weigh-ins done, you know. And they're going, no, 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 we ain't weigh nobody until he travels weighs first. So he comes back. He jumps on the scale. The scale goes goes slightly up, and kind of, but not as much as it was, and or not as fast as it did, but still went up. And they go, okay, 140. And so my dad goes, oh, no, 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 no. He, was, he didn't weigh 140. Let's get him back on that scale. Well, by the time my dad said, get him back on that scale, he was gone. That's how fast they did it. They jumped on the scale. They, they yelled out 140, and he took off. And then, so, you know, my dad and Jose Solomon, it was funny. My dad and Jose Solomon were getting ready to fight because he didn't make it. You know, and, that, and that's not the point because it doesn't matter what he weighs at this point, you know. But it's the fact that he didn't make it, and we're trying to, they're trying to make us like, like we're dumb. We're not dumb. We know he didn't make it. And so I told my dad, fine. I told my dad, man, let it go. It doesn't matter what he weighs. I go, he can weigh 170. It doesn't matter. I go, it, you know, this worth, it's fight time. I don't care. And then so the next day, you know, they, they have it. Uh, you know, the fight's ready. We're, we get ready to fight. And, uh, you know, the first round happens. And nothing really big happens in the first round. And, you know, I don't think he's hitting hard. I don't think he's hitting harder than anybody's ever fought before, you know. I don't think he hit me with anything that every, even remote even bothered me during that fight. Uh, you know, uh, I went there to win the last two rounds. I wasn't there to win the first 10. If I didn't get a knockout, if I didn't knock him on the last two rounds, guess what? And I would have lost. Guess what? Okay. I came to knock him on the last two rounds. I didn't do it. I'll accept the loss and leave. No problem. You know, but I was ready. I was ready to go to war in the last two rounds. So I think it was second or third round. I remember what it was. I get a little cut over my left eye. Um, that blood never got in my eye, never did anything. I'm dancing around, boxing. I'm just doing what I'm doing. And then, um, you know, you know, blood's going down the side of my face, but not in my eye. Didn't bother me, never bothered me. And then uh, we're in the 10th round now. Uh, so we're in the 10th round. I got one more round. I remember telling myself during that round, man, just take it easy, relax, just get through this round. You know what I mean? Because I'm ready to go to war the next round. I'm I'm fresh as a daisy. Uh, I mean, I was I was ready. I, you know, I was in it. That's like that's why I trained the whole time for the last two rounds. And uh, the referee comes by. He calls me and says, "Come to the doctor with me." You know. So I'm looking at him like, "What? Huh? Like, what are you talking about, dude?" So 
we go see the doctor. Now, the doctor never gets on the mat, never gets on the ring, stands up from a seat. Now, I'm standing up on top of a ring that's, what, three, four feet high off the ground? And then I'm standing up. The doctor just stands up on the floor, and he goes, he says it in Spanish, but in English he says, oh, no, 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 it's over, it's done, it's over. And it's like, what? I go, it's over. I go, it's not even getting my eye, dude. I go, what are you talking about? And so I'm talking to him in Spanish. And then he goes, oh, no, 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 it's over, it's over. I go, hey, I go, okay, I go, let me do this. I go, let me finish this round. If I don't knock him out in this round, I go, I'll, 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 I'll quit, and you'll ne- I'll never say one bad word about it. I go, I'll never say nothing. I go, but let me finish this round. And he goes, no, 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 that's over, it's over, it's over. Wow. And that's what pissed me off. I mean, made me mad. Wow. You know? And so, you know, it was like the biggest disappointing fight of my career. I, I went to, to, to go to war the last two rounds. He hit like a little girl. He didn't hit hard. You know, I never thought he hit me with anything that remotely even bothered me. You know, uh, I've been hit harder, you know. Uh, uh, but here's what I will tell you, and, and, I, and you'll be the first person to ever ask me this. Uh, or some. <laughs> well, here's, here's, here's how I really felt. Watch. When he hit me. It, it was hard, uh, but not like a punch that's going to knock you out. It was hard like, like um, um, I don't know, it was more, it, it didn't, it, it, watch, okay, I'm just going to say it. Like, to me, it felt like he had, not, not an object in his hand, but you know that, that liquid cement that people use from Mexico? Mm-hmm. It felt like that. It felt like it was hard, but like the glove, not the glove, but maybe his hand wraps Something was hard, right? But he didn't hit hard, you know? And then after that fight, for the first time in my career, in my whole career, man, I look like a chipmunk. My eyes, my side of my eyes are all swollen up. And I'm going, how did that happen? You know, even for days after that fight, I'm going, that's BS. There's no way in the world you're going to tell me he did no um, He didn't hit hard. He did not hit that hard, you know? And, and you know, I, I never felt it. So, you know, after it was like, like even for our when it was time to, as a as a as a as a champion, when you, when you when it's time to lace up your gloves, my corner goes to their dressing room. Their dress their corner comes to my dressing room, and they watch wrap them up, right? Wrap up the gloves, right? Well, watch. They came to our to our, to our uh, dressing room, but they wouldn't allow us to go to his. Wow. That was BS. You know, uh, uh, why? I don't know, you know, because by rules we're supposed to. Yeah. You know, the WPC rules still stand in Mexico. For what country you're in, they still they still they're still the same. They don't change, you know. And like and like I told and then I told them Diego, they wouldn't let us in the dressing room. I well, that's because he needs to do whatever he needs to do. I go, I don't care. The fight's on. I don't care, you know. And yes, you know, but that's that's. That's what really happened during that fight. That's the honest to God truth. What happened? So you reckon he probably did have have him loaded somehow? He did something because you know what? Ain't no way. Because I fought for how many years? I had that fight in '94. Yeah. I fought for another five years, and I fought big fighters, you know, name fighters, and you know, not you know like, like Chavez fighters, but big name fighters for for, for real stuff, you know. And you could t- you can't tell me that. They're, they're going, oh, well, maybe because you're aging. Well, if I'm aging and that happened, shouldn't it happen after, after, again? Because I fought five more years. Yeah. 
You mean to tell me in five years it never happened again? That I'm aging? No. You ain't telling I'm not believing that. Yeah, that, you know? that's crazy. That is crazy. So, it is crazy, you know? So after that fight, you know, you'd, you'd lose to former world champion Freddie Pendleton back at the MGM Grand, then to, uh, to, to former world champion Charles Murray. You then put together five wins before losing your final fight to eventual world title challenger Hector Quiroz in, in Coachella in February 1999. Uh, you retired, though, with, with, a, with a brilliant record. Like I say, a great, solid resume, 50 wins, eight losses and one draw. Um, did you want to have any words on those last few fights I've kind of skipped through pretty quickly there uh, if you want to say anything on any of those before we move on um, you're welcome to do so Hector Kiros my last one go for it um, watch they, I was training in Auburn above Sacramento and the fight was in by Palm Springs um, Coachella Valley whatever it was and uh, every, now mind you I'm still I still get big between fights so I have to train hard to lose the weight I still got to do all that. I do all the stuff. I'm on a system when I start training uh, for weight and conditioning. I'm on both I'm on the system for both. Uh, nine days before the fight, uh, they tell me, hey, the promoter tells me, hey, man, we want you down here for the for the new stuff and all that other stuff, and we want you to train down here. So my dad calls me. He says, hey, son, we got to go. I'm going, dad, I want to go. I go, I'm, I'm going here. My weight's coming down. I, I, got, I got everything here that I need. They're not going to give me anything over there. I go, I'm an old fighter. It's a young fighter. I need, I need to be in good shape with it. My dad said, well, they, you know, they're bugging for the, for the new stuff. And want us to go down there. I go, well, dad, I don't want to go. So a couple of days later, my dad called me back. We have to go. So then uh, we ended up going five days prior. And so, uh, you know, and here's how it started. We land around, I don't know, 2 or 3 o'clock in L.A. or some, airport in L.A. around 2 or 3 o'clock. Um, we finally uh, uh, take a cab to Coachella Valley or Indian Wells, wherever it was, Palm Springs or wherever it was, about 3 a.m., 2 a.m., I'm sorry, 2 a.m. It takes us about an hour to get there. So I'm up at 3 a.m., and I got a fight next week, right? My driver never came. To this day that I'm talking to you right now, I've never met my driver. You know, the people that are supposed to take you to the gym and you know, all that other stuff. I never met him. I never even saw him because we never had him. He never came. Uh, my boxing gym for that fight, let me tell you, for the last seven days of that fight, let me tell you what it was, 24-hour fitness. I hit the I, I hit the mitts and I jump rope. That was it. That's all I could do because it never gave me – I never met my driver taking me to the gym. I knew of no gyms over there. No one told me of any gyms over there or wouldn't tell me of any gyms over there. You know, uh, finally about – I kept telling my dad, screw it, let's go. I go, you know what? Three days, three days down, I'm going, you know what? I go, Dad, I'm not going to make the weight. I, I, I can't, I have to train. I'm not losing the weight I need to lose. And he goes, well, you know, just give it a couple more days. I go, well, I go, I'm telling you, it's going to be harder on me because I'm not making the weight. I'm not going to, I'm, uh, I'm not working out enough. I go, we're not doing enough. And he goes, well, you know. So a couple of days will go by. It's like maybe two days for the weigh-in, an hour, a day for the weigh And my dad goes, okay, let's go. He goes, this is crazy. This, you know, we don't, we have, we're not ready. We're, they didn't give us anything. The contract said, let's just go. And, but me, you know, I'm so, I'm mad. And uh, I'm like, uh, you know, because you're, star- you're starving yourself again. You're doing all this stuff again. 
And I'm going, no, you know what? I can do it. I can do it. Go ahead. Let's just go with it. I can do it. You know, because I was tired. I wanted to get it over with. And then so uh, he said, you sure? I go, yeah. Yeah, I can do it. I got it done before. I'll do it again. And uh, he was okay. So we stayed. Uh, I weighed in. I was thinking I was a pound over. Trying to go lose that pound. Came back. I made the weight. You know, he, he just got, they just set me up. They set up an old fighter. So that they can put up a new fighter. I'm taking nothing from Kuros either, because Kuros is okay. Was he good enough to beat me? No, not even close. But he did that night. You know what I mean? But there was other things that were happening that made that happen. He didn't do it. You know, uh, his promoter did. His promoter beat me. You know what I mean? So that's another. That's another one of those fights. Because after that fight, we were supposed to be set up for a world title fight, which he got, and he lost. But that's what that fight was for. You know. And not saying that the fight, the fight, the champion that he fought uh, wasn't a tough fighter because I could have beat him, you know, but I never got that chance. So, you know, yeah. that's boxing. Yeah, lots and lots of twists and turns, um, especially with your career. I want I want to go for a few much quicker questions now, just before we before we wrap up, Tony. I'm really intrigued to know what you what you say to this question. I want to ask who. Uh, who, who the biggest puncher in your in your entire you know career was? Um, obviously, you've you've gone on record to pretty much say Gamash didn't really hit hard, Paez didn't really hit hard, uh, Chavez and 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 uh, Greg Haugen didn't. Who was the biggest puncher? <laughs> two of them, two guys that you probably never heard of. Okay. Uh, remember that one fight you said that I had after I lost the title? I had to fight that Mexican kid. Um, and I stopped him like in seven rounds, six rounds, something like that, eight rounds, something like that. Um, I lost the title, and I had to fight. And I had to fight this Mexican kid for 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 you know for a tuna before I fought for another title. <laughs> that Mexican kid, that dude hit me so hard, he hit me in my arm. And he's been well, one of two fighters that hit me in my arm. This guy hit me in my arm. You know the bell rings were moving around. He throws. He, I, it must have been a left hook because he hit my right arm. Hits my arm, and I'm going, damn, this guy can hit. I better get rid of this fool, you know? So I started fighting him hard. I mean, I jumped on him right away. And, you know, I, I think I locked him out like six, seven, eight, man, something like that. But he hit hard. What was his name? I'm trying to try He hit hard enough to um, – I had, I, had, I had lost a fight. I think I lost a fight, and then I fought this Mexican. He had a Mexican name. He was from Mexico. And I think I knocked him out like five, six, seven, eight rounds, something like that. And his record was like, I don't know, I don't, I, I'm throwing numbers out there, but it was something like this. It was like maybe 20-something uh, wins, uh, 12 losses. See, that uh, That sounds like uh, Sylvester Cannon. No, no, no. No, it wasn't Sylvester Cannon. But he had hard, but he didn't hard, hit as hard as these guys. Um, um, no, uh, I, can't, I don't remember his name. He was a Mexican dude from Mexico. But anyway, it was after one of my title fights, and I think I lost because I was, I was fighting the tuna to fight. Yeah, it was it was a fight after I lost. I lost the title. I fought this Mexican from Mexico. I think he was Mexico, and then um, he hit hard. Oh, it was and in then, Mexico. Yeah. But, no, no, it was oh, at it was... Sacramento. It was in Sacramento, uh-huh. but he was from Mexico. Um, and then uh, was it? Oh, was it uh, um, Amancio Castro? Maybe I don't remember the guy's name. <laughs> I don't know. What, what's his record? 
Would they knock him out? Did I beat him? You stopped him in just two rounds. His record was 21 and 15 with three draws. That fight took place uh, sorry, in Nevada, that one. I can't, I can't find oh, it. Oh, no, no. <laughs> no, no. No, back to one of my title fights. It was Mexican dude. I, I, I can't remember his name. Anyways, yeah. it was him and Tim Brooks from Sacramento. I fought a guy named Tim Brooks from Sacramento. I fought him in, I fought him in Lake Tahoe twice. Yeah, twice. The first fight, because he's a big kid. We spar together all the time. And he's a big kid. He's kind of real thick. He's real thin, but real wide, right? All muscular. looks like a bodybuilder type of dude. And he fought at 130. But he normally fought at 140. You know, he was a boxer. We fight in the same gym and stuff. And he fought at normally 140. But then uh, he wanted to fight me at 130. I'm going, shoot, that boy ain't never going to make 140, 130. And so the first fight, he killed himself trying to make 130. Well, so I, I stopped him in somewhere in mid rounds and I stopped him. So then he wanted he wanted a rematch. So since he's from Sacramento, I go, Yeah, I'll give him a rematch. Why not? So <laughs> so we get ready for this rematch, but you know, all I give I give all fighters credit, you know, rather you know, I train hard for all my fights. I, I never goofed off in training. I never took anybody lightly. I never did any of that. So so I trained for him the second time. <laughs> And then we we were at, we're at Lake Tahoe. We're getting ready to to weigh in, and this time this guy comes in like he's looking like he's fresh as a daisy. And he gets on the scale. He weighs one twenty nine and three quarters. <laughs> and I'm going shit. Kid's ready to son, you know, because he hits hard. And then so uh, and so you know we weigh in. We're in, in, in so we, uh, the second fight starts happening, and then uh, and I don't remember what round it was. Like the second or third or fourth round. I don't remember. But I'm moving around, and am I been in the third round? And I'm moving around because I'm thinking the first couple rounds look pretty easy, you know, taking his butt, you know, without boxing, you know, because uh, some, you know, some guys you got to you got to box, some guys you got to fight. Well, he's one of the guys that you got to box. He wants to away from because he hits hard. So I'm moving around and and I'm doing my thing, and it's kind of, it's going kind of easy. So I'm getting kind of, you know, relaxed, <laughs> and I just dropped my hand for a second. And he catches me with a left hook that caught the tip of my chin. That's the closest in my career that I've ever been close to my leg hitting. The, well, you know, at that time, it had been the closest in my career I've ever was thinking, thinking about hitting the canvas. My legs buckled. I remember my, my eyes went blurry. I seen gray with white dots. Um, my legs gave out. And they said that my knee came from about maybe two inches from hitting the canvas. But my legs locked, and the ref. I remember the referee was on my left side, and when when I got caught, he was on my left side. So when my eyes came back to, I guess I was coming back. You know, my legs locked before they hit before I hit the canvas, and I was getting back up. You know, my legs were kind of putting me back on right side up, right. And so I remember the referee being there. So I remember just moving to my left because that was where the referee was. So the referee's looking for me. So it gave me it, it bought me a couple more seconds. Because you know, he had to find me now. He's like, I was to his right, now I'm to his left. He's, you know, I'm behind him. He's going, whoa, 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 you know what I mean? So it bought me a few more seconds. It was just enough time to clear my head, you know? And uh, I went on to beat him. On, I think I beat him another. I beat him on a decision. And uh, but that's been the closest one. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Like other times, I got dropped. It didn't hurt. You know, it didn't really. I don't know, never really did anything. You know, <laughs> but that one did. <laughs> Trying to look. I, I think the the other guy. I think it was either um, 
Narciso Romo, it could have been, or yeah. Andres yeah. Sandoval, could have been oh, Andres uh, Andres Sandoval. Yeah, that might have been him. Okay, you stopped. Yeah, both that might have been him. You stopped both of those guys in two rounds. Uh, you know, back in Sacramento. But um, yeah, the, the the next question I've got for you: Who do you feel was your best opponent you ever boxed? Mm. Wow. Just kind of all round. No one's ever asked me that. All round, if you like. Thank you. That's a good question. <laughs> and all my life, no one's ever asked me that. Let me see. But if I had to really think about it right now, I would say Molina. Okay. Okay. Um, and I want to ask you this. Was there anyone that you would have liked to fight, but perhaps didn't get a chance to do so? Yeah, quite a few people. And, and it was when my career started. Uh, uh, I wanted to fight a Zuma Nelson. There was Zuma Nelson, and there was that other guy, the white guy. Um, I can't think of his name. Oh my god! Um, you know, uh, they were they were they were all champions. And the reason, and watch this. Uh, and I and I state this because I never got the, I never got the chance. That's what I wanted to do. It, they were right there with Rocky Lockridge. You know, when I thought of Rocky Lockridge, I thought of Zuma Nelson, I thought of the other guy. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, from? Do you, know? you know, those are the ones I wanted to fight, you know. And Jeff Finnick. Finnick. Jeff Finnick, yeah. yeah That's the yeah. Jeff Finnick, you know. And so those are the guys I wanted to fight. You know, to me, those those were the fights that were going to, you know, that was in the beginning of my career. But that was the, those were the fights to me that would have pushed me over the top. You know, because I'm a, I'm a kid dreaming, you know what I mean? And so uh, I got to fight Rocky, but the other two never happened. Because I think they were still fighting when I, when I, when I won the first title, Rocky. But I think in the, in the mainstream of, you know, me going on doing what I'm doing, they up and went ahead and retired and stuff like that, you know. So I never got, I never got that chance. Uh, but here's what I'm saying. I, I, I didn't want to fight him because I knew I'd beat him. I wanted to fight him because it would be in a good fight. Yeah. Whether I'm going to lose, who knows? But I knew it was going to be a good fight. And I want to ask this also: um, Do you have any regrets? If you could go back and change something about your career, would you? Yeah, sure. What would that be? You know what? <laughs> <laughs> With a couple, a couple of the fighters I had late in my career, one was Freddie Pendleton. Uh, one was the one in, in New York. Who did I fight in New York? Um, um, uh, Charles um, Murray. Charles Murray. Uh, taking nothing, nothing from either one of those fighters. Both great fighters. Um, but you know what? Uh, I was just being a... With Charles Murray, I was just being a little baby. I really was. You know, uh, and, and I look at it today as just being a little B. That's what I was doing, you know? I, I wanted to train someplace else. They took me somewhere else. I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I didn't want to go. Uh, but they made me, so I went. I didn't train hard, didn't try to train hard. And I, I told my trainer at the time, who was Jerry Jacobs, I told him, I go, I go, look, I go, I'm going to fight because the fights, you know, that's what we do. And we signed the contract, so I'm going to fight, but I'm not going to fight to win. I go, here's what I'm going to do. I go, the last two rounds of that fight, we're going to go to war. I go, before that, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to really try. And so, and Jerry knows me. So Jerry goes, come on, man, just get, just do it for me, man. I go, no, man. This, I go, this is BS. I, I don't want to be here. You know, I'm not having fun. 
is no, this is not fun for me. I want to be in Auburn where we were training at. And he's, oh man, you know, come on, just do it, man. And so we went to New York uh, with that, with that attitude. So me and Jerry made a deal. Uh, he goes, oh, okay, just give me, just give me the last round of that fight. And I go, okay. I go, I'll stop him in the last round. And he goes, okay. And and we were serious, you know, taking nothing from him. You know, I, I just know what I can do, you know. And so so for the first part of the fight, went on. Uh, I did what I was supposed to do, but just, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't stop him. So, you know, he won the fight, you know. But he didn't fight Tony the Tiger. He fought, I don't know who he fought that night. It wasn't me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. You know, and, I, I was, and, and, and watch this. And that's just because I was being a little baby. I was just being a big baby. That's all I was. You know, there's no excuse for that, you know. Um, you never, who knows what what could have what it could have brought to my career, you know what I mean? So if you need fighters out there listening to it, you want to be a baby about something, you don't do it because you never know what could happen to your career if you take that fight and win, you know. So I don't know. Yeah, for sure. But those are a couple, couple, couple fights that I, I, I've just been a baby, you know. Uh, Charles Murray and and the one before Charles Murray, I'm not sure before Charles Murray or after. Yeah, just uh, before. Was a good fight. Yeah. yeah. And who who was the guy I fought before him? Before Pendleton. Uh, oh yeah, Pendleton. Yeah, yeah. Well, I fought Pendleton where in Vegas? Yeah, Pendleton in in Vegas, and then uh, right after that, Murray in New York. Yeah. Okay. When I fought Pendleton, watch this. When I fought Pendleton in Vegas, the fight was good. You know, we were, we were doing anything. Uh, uh, I got dropped a couple times, and you know, and that was kind of embarrassing. Uh, I think he didn't drop me like two times, four times in two rounds. I think so. And yeah, it, 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 it was at the first one was fun. You know, I mean, I'm even on the canvas thinking in my head, this is crazy. It's embarrassing. You know. And then uh, I get up, he does it again. I'm like, wow. I'm going, this is really embarrassing. I go to my corner, I come back, does it again. I'm going, okay, now I'm going to tap out this. This is stupid. So I get up, and in the second round, I'm going, okay, I'm coming out. We're going to war this next round, you know? So I go back to my corner. We go we go to war. I think I drop him the next round or the round of that. And then uh, I don't know what round it is, like in the sixth or seventh, eighth round, something like that. And, uh, uh, and, I'm, and I'm picking up I'm picking up, the, I'm picking up the rounds, you know, because we're fighting now. Uh and then so when they stopped it, uh, he threw, I think he threw, a, I'm not sure, a left hook or right hook or whatever he did. And then, uh, uh, and then uh, uh, what happened was he threw it because he was taller than I was. And so I, I didn't have to go down as far, so I came right back up. But when he, came, but when he threw it, I didn't duck far enough, you know, because he saw it. I didn't have to go down so far. So, so when he threw that, I think it was a, a right hook, he caught the back side of my head, you know, and it knocked me forward because it threw the hook. So it knocked me forward. So I'm going, I'm stumbling across the into the back you know? And then the referee comes in and stops the fight. And I'm going, what the hell are you doing? You know? And so again, fight stops. I'm not going to try, I'm not going to find it. Once it's over, it's over, right? So I remember women getting out of the lane. And I was getting ready to walk to my dressing room. We're getting ready to walk. And then on the big TV above the ring, they show what happens. And then all of a sudden, everybody just starts booming, you know, because they thought he hit me. 
What are you giving me? Just tap me on the back of my head, on a, on a, on a, on a right hook, and just knock me forward. You know? It didn't hurt. didn't do anything. And so, you know, that's when the referee stopped the fight. And then everybody started blowing out. I thought, oh, it's over, it's over. But that was a good fight. Yeah. You know, those, those, that was a good one. And I also want to ask, you know, during the mid kind of point of your career, you you were trained by Jimmy Montoya, um, you know, the late Jimmy Montoya. Obviously, he trained uh, the likes of, you know, Hector Camacho, Alexis Arguello, Salvador Sanchez. Um, that's, I mean, it's it's brilliant to obviously mix with with a guy that you know had mixed with with such brilliant fighters like those. Um, yeah, what was it like to train with a guy with that depth of knowledge? You know, it. it watch this I was always brought up to it since my amateur days you know uh, to listen to all the trainers try stuff and if it works use it if it doesn't throw it away don't ignore anybody you know don't ever think you know everything you know so I learned a little bit of something from everybody even even some of the trainers that didn't do anything I learned something you know what I mean like from Jimmy Montoya, he, he had a lot. He has a lot. He had a lot of knowledge, you know, just about fighters, about boxing. And you listen to him intently because he knows boxing. The man says, "The guys don't do this. Guess what? The guys don't do that." You know, uh, so you listen to him because he has a lot of knowledge. He watches fights all the time. So if he tells you, "Hey, man, your opponent does this. When you move in this way, he's going to do this. So you, I want you to do that." You do it. You know, uh, and that's and, and see, it, it's kind of hard to. To, to say, you know, what trainer is going to train you the best? What trainer does this? Because if you just take a little something from each trainer and take what works from you and throw away the rest, I mean, you can learn a lot. From, you can learn. You can learn something from anybody. I learned an overhand right from, from, from honestly from a bum on the street. You know, uh, I he told me I did it the way he told me, and it worked. So guess what? I used it from a guy I gave a dollar to because he was a bum on the street and he asked for a buck, you know, and he knew who I was. He goes, Hey, I used to be a boxer, you know, blah, blah, blah. He goes, and I used to do this. And he showed me this one punch. And I go, I'm going to try it. He goes, man, he goes, can I get a dollar? Yeah, you can have a dollar, bro. I hear a dollar. You know what I mean? So, you know, I, I just think there's a lot of people have knowledge I think everybody has knowledge, even fight knowledge, even if you never laced up the gloves. Because if you watch it a lot, and you give and you give someone a, a, an idea of something he's never heard of before, you know what? I'll try it. It might work. I'll try it a hundred times before I throw it away, because everything's not going to work the first time. It may not work the first twenty times, but if you like it, it you might perfect it and make it work for you. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's the difference in today's boxers and yesterday's boxers. Today's boxers, they know everything. Can't teach these guys anything. You know. Uh, coming down to the last couple questions, just two questions left for you, Tony. Um, I want to ask you this: um, What are you up to now? Obviously, you know. I know you're. If I'm not mistaken, you're you're, you're in the uh, the bow bonds industry i don't even think that's uh i don't even think there's a business for that over here in the uk just tell us about that oh okay uh, that's a fun business uh just think when you get out of boxing you, you get right back into it um uh well here's how it goes let's say you go to jail you do something crazy you're you're 
getting a fight at a bar. I don't know. Uh, anything they do uh, under the uh, under the influence of anything is a felony. Okay. So let's say you're in a bar, you're drinking, you're gonna fight with another guy at a bar, and you guys both end up in jail. Your your bill set at fifty thousand dollars. As a bail bondsman, my job is to cover that fifty thousand dollars. Your job is to give me a cosign of someone with a job that can pay me five thousand. Maybe give me a thousand, two thousand dollars down, some payments on the rest until it comes up to five thousand. When your case is done, I get my bond back, which I means which means I get my five my fifty thousand dollars back. The money you gave me is my money. Right? Somebody goes to pay my bills, I gotta pay it. The surety comes their share. So, you know, but it's a it's a good business. And in the cases where uh I'm not very mad, but you have those that run. You know, they don't want to show up to court, so they take off. They don't go to court. Uh, they might go across town. They might be in the same town. They might just move from place to place. And then you got those that go really far. You know, my job as a bell bondsman, a.k.a. bounty hunter, is to find you. You know, in today's world, it's not that hard to find people anywhere anymore. You know, uh, there's so many. Every, I mean, everywhere you go, to your picture's taken. So... Uh, Carl Eisen with pictures taken. Uh, you know, you're just, you're, you're just everywhere now. And there's programs out there that, that pinpoint you. And so, you know, my job is to go out there and find you and arrest you and put you back in jail. Once I do that, then I get my money back. If I don't do that, that money's gone. And I got six months to do that. Well, that's interesting. So uh, have, you, have you had cases where you've not found someone and it's cost you a real heap? Yes, sir. Oh, wow. Um, well, when we, when we first started, you know, because uh, right when I retired, uh, I got in the Belmont business in, what, 1999. I got my license in 1999. I got my, I got, I got, so late 1999. And I think in the first few years, we lost a few hundred thousand dollars. And my, my wife said, you better learn how to find these people or else we're going to be some deep shit stuff. So I said, you know what? I, I, we had just lost a hundred fifty thousand dollars bond. I had to pay that in my pocket, and then uh, so I paid that. I told my wife, "I'm not going to lose another." One. I go, "I'm going to find. I'm going to learn how to find these guys. I'm not, not going to lose another bond." And that's what I did. I haven't lost one cent. Wow! Credit to you, my friend. The only thing I've ever seen of that is uh, I've seen the TV show Dog the Bounty Hunter. That's about it. <laughs> that 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 okay. Look at that show. That's some of the easy stuff we did. Yeah. That that probably generates around an easy an easy pickup for us. Did you like his style? Uh, yeah, just, I mean, it worked for the show. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know what you mean. But you know, yeah, you know, ours is a little bit more real, I guess. You know, yeah. you go out there and you got to do what you got to do. You know, like I tell people, behind my desk, I'm really nice. I'm a business professional. So I do. You run. You're going to find out the ugly side of me. You know, and that's what I do, you know. And it's about pissing people off. And because, and, watch, if, if, if you have, if you co-sign for a friend and he takes off and runs and you co-sign for him, you're the first person I'm going to come to. You say, why are you coming to me, man? I said, why'd you co-sign for him? Why would you co-sign for somebody you couldn't find? I go, that's kind of dumb. You co-sign on a $50,000 bond, so you're responsible for $50,000 bond, just like I am. I go, but I got six months to find him. So if you don't, if you don't help me find him in six months, you're in trouble too. Yeah. And they, they never really do. 
like because they, you know, some people run around the corner, some people run around the country, you know, some people go out the countries, you know, and wherever they go, we go, you know. Okay, so it's, really it's, interesting. it's been fun. Yeah. It is. It, it, it's a it's a really neat business. It really is. Sounds like one of yeah. those jobs where there's like a different. Each day is a different thing, kind of thing. It's not repetitive. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. That's the best way. Never, never a dull moment. And the yeah. final, the final boxing question for you, Tony. Before I let you go, I'm putting you on the spot a tiny bit here, but we have to ask this to everyone we speak to from overseas. Um, favorite UK fighter? Who comes to mind of any era? No one now. And, and I'm trying to think of the guys that I did like. I can't remember his name. Um, but that was years ago. Um, I thought oh you might goodness. be a fan um, of Tyson Fury these days. Oh, no, you know what? Watch it. Okay. Here's where everybody's going to get mad at me. But, but I'm just being real. Tyson Fury can't fight. He, oh. That man can't even throw a damn jab. No, oh. no, he can't even throw a jab. No, watch. I don't care. I don't care who it is. He can't throw a jab. You know what? That last fight was disgusting. That was the sorriest heavyweight fight I've ever seen in my life. It really, really is. I'm disgusted. You know, that's one of the reasons why I'm starting to get mad at boxing. Because if they put these two guys watch, I'll tell you what. Mike Tyson might be 55 years old, but I tell you what, he might give Tyson Fury all he needs to handle, or, or more than he can handle. Because his punching power as a fighter, he may, he may have slowed down. And, you know, and that might hurt him. I kind of think it will. But anyway, but I think he, he can give Tyson Fury more trouble than any other heavyweight out there right now. Come on, man. He's a champion of the world. He's number one contender. He's champion of the world. He's all this stuff. But the man can't throw a straight jab? Come on. He can't throw a power jab? Come on. He can't throw an uppercut? Come on. And you're trying to tell me that's great boxing? When, when he, the last fight, when he fought that other guy, uh, what was his name? What's his Deontay name? Wilder. Um, Deontay Wilder. He's another joke. Watch, Deontay Wilder can't throw a punch. Are you kidding me? These guys are the best boxing has today? Do you mean to tell me they can compare it to Evander Holyfield? You mean to tell me they can compare to George Foreman? You think they can compare to Joe Lewis? I mean, uh, that's going back before, but uh, Joe Frazier? You think they can Come on. They're not even close. I mean, I haven't brought up Ali. I haven't even brought up Mike Tyson. I haven't even brought up anybody yet. Hmm. But you think you guys, these guys can hang with them? Come on. See, that's the problem with boxing today. Everybody thinks that was a great fight. That wasn't a great fight. That was a sorry fight. That fight was disgusting. You had two guys in there punching like they didn't know what they were doing. Go back and look at the fight. Maybe you forgot. But go back and look at the fight and tell me those guys are punching correct. Tell me they have defense. Tell me they're, they're fighting the way they're supposed to fight. Come on. You can't say anything of that. You can't even come close. You can't tell me that either one of them guys can throw a jab. You know, it's called a straight jab. A jab goes straight, not to the right. What the hell is that? There's no such thing as a, a right, left jab. There's no such thing. But they, 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 brought, it to, they brought it to town that night. That's disgusting. No, it really is. It's disgusting. And, as a, and watch this. If you get an old, you might ask some new champion today. He'll say, oh, yeah, they're great. You know, blah, 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 blah. Come on, man. For real? For boxing today? Put, put them in the likes of George Foreman, uh, 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 Mike, uh, Evander Holyfield, Mike Tyson. Put them in there. Come on. I dare you. Yeah. No comparison. No way. 
All right, I'm not well, buying it. You let's let's, it, it wouldn't let's go to your favorite UK fighter. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember his name. Uh, I can help uh, you. Oh, my God. Who did he it, box? Okay, it was, you know it was during... Yeah, go on. Uh, it, it was during my time. It, it was my time uh, when I was fighting. Uh, it was just at, maybe in 88. Who was a big fighter in 89 in that era? Do you know which weight? Uh, I think he was heavier than me. Obviously, he was heavier than me. I think maybe 165, 154, 178, around in there. Oh, gosh. <laughs> There's so many guys. Uh... I know. Um, you can't remember if it was a black guy, a white guy. No, he's a white dude. White guy. And, and you know what? And, and you know, the, the effects of boxing. My memory is not the greatest. So there's a lot of things I don't remember, but I do, I do remember. I can't remember the names. I, I, you know, uh, you know. So a few things. If, if if I lost anything from boxing, it was my memory. Just a, you know, not a lot, but you know, here and there. Like sometimes I'm going here and I'm going, what am I doing? <laughs> oh yeah. I can't. Yeah. I and can't that's just really how think, it is. I can't really think of who it'd be to be honest. Okay. Uh, it was a pain in my career. So maybe in '95. The latest, I'm thinking. Man. You can't remember who he fought at all? I don't, I don't, I don't, no, I don't, I don't remember. All right. Because remember, during that time, I was busy training and fighting. I didn't really, I didn't really get a chance. But I would catch one or two guys, and i go, oh, okay. When he's fighting, I'm going to watch that fight. You know? And, and he was one of those guys, I go, I'm going to watch him fight. I like the way he fights. Uh, who was it? Um, I, can't, I can't remember. If you do remember, let me know. But uh, yeah, that's yeah, fine. no, for real, that's fine. We'll try and I we'll will. try and find out at some point. Just finally, Tony, before we let you go, if you've got any closing words to our listeners, I'm sure they they would have all enjoyed this and how honest you've been, how in depth you've been, um, and of of course, you know your UK fans that appreciate you probably don't get to hear from you too much. What's your closing message to them? Man, I, I tell you, here's my closing message: if you if you were a fan of mine back in the eighties and nineties. 88 to 90s, late 90s. And, you know, I appreciate you. I, I really do. Uh, sorry could, I could never fight there. I would love to. Uh, you know, uh, but hey, I'm doing well. Uh, on the business, doing my thing, getting ready to move. To, I, got, I think I'm going to move to Florida. And then, uh, you know, start, start a new life there. So see what happens. So I thank everybody and thank you very much. And just once again, um, what was the YouTube to watch? Because I did see a clip on YouTube of you teaching some footwork. Where can people go to see these free boxing lessons online? Oh, okay. It's, uh, it's called Boxing Basics, Tony the Tiger Lopez. And okay. in, in all honesty, if you go, cause I went to, I went to uh, base, Boxing Basics with other people, and it's funny because they really don't know what they're doing. So I thought, hey, look, I have something to get back, and I'll do it for free. So what I'm teaching here is real footwork, real punching, real head movement, real everything. It would be like I was training you personally. So, you know, so that's just really what it is. And since the coronavirus has, has happened, we haven't been able to do any more, but we're going to start here in another couple of weeks, maybe a month. We'll start, we'll start adding on. The, we'll continue on. And we're going to do everything from – I'm going to teach you how to block, parry, stuff you never even heard of before that's been boxing since 1920. It's how to parry punches, how to block punches, how to do all this stuff. You know, uh, I'm going to teach old school boxing. 
Excellent. So like I say, anyone listening to this, free online boxing lessons in the comfort of your own home or gym or wherever you want to watch it on YouTube. Um, search for Boxing Basics. Um, Tony the Tiger Lopez. Free stuff there from a former free free-time world champion. Um, yeah, excellent. If they, if they can do one thing for me, when you get there, hit subscribe so I know that you're there. Absolutely. Hit the subscribe button. Listen, Tony, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing your career this week. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your honesty and, uh, you know, just how, how much detail you've gone into. It's been a complete honor of mine, and I hope we can speak again sometime in the future. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Okay, and this wraps up episode 245 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. A massive thank you to our sole guest on this week's show, the former three-time world champion, Mr. Tony Lopez. That was one of, if not my most in-depth interviews that I've done. Um, I, I love the, the honesty from Tony. He completely says what's on his mind. No holding back. Super honest. Very in-depth, like I say. Um, a real pleasure to do that. Um, I'd like to apologize, though, for the disturbance sorted audio for probably the last 20 minutes of the interview i hope it was listenable for you all it was an error on my part so like i say i apologize for that i'm sorry about that thank you all though for tuning in once again this week enjoy your weekends people stay safe and we shall see you all again next week